0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. That being said, let's start. Let me tell you how this is going to go, because obviously can't read through all of Chapter 3 and all of Chapter 4. So what today will look like is... Is is imagine we're on a plane and and, and, we're, and we're flying over, right? Um, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna at, at, at very um, specific moments we're gonna zoom in. So I'll just narrate the story and just, and, and just talk the story, but we'll we'll zoom in every now and again and 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 look at what the Lord is saying to us at this particular section and that particular section as as he he speaks to our our hearts, right? So before we dive in, what I want to do is ask you all to stand, and we'll just read the end, chapter 4, verses 27 to 31. This is how it it closes off. I I won't touch base with this later on. We'll read it now, and then we'll cover everything else and, and back up. So that's chapter 4, verses 27 to 31. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord has visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Father, you are so good, and we thank you for your word. We pray that you will plant your word deep into our hearts, Lord, and that you allow it to bear fruit, and that we will see how you will call us to live into it, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So let me me walk us through this. Last week, uh, Pastor Aaron walked us through chapter 2. And as we close out of chapter 2, there there, there are three things I want to draw to our our attention that will take us into into chapter 3. One thing that you you saw at the closing of chapter 2 is that the king of Egypt had died. This is the moment where a lot of our theologies get mixed up because we base it off of cartoons and movies, right? Moses doesn't go back and confront his long-lost brother from from back in Egypt because that guy died. The person that Moses goes back and and confronts is a totally different king. It's been a long while since he's, he's been there. It's been like over 40 years. And Moses goes and confronts a totally different king. The king of Egypt has died. But even though the king of Egypt has died, the people of Israel was still in bondage. It wasn't like, okay, that king, he had some wicked ruling things and stuff, and it died with him. But instead, this new king comes in, and the new king is carrying on the same thing. You see, Generations and families are growing up inside of this thing. It's become normalized it's the normal rhythm of living there. Like I said, Moses has been going for like 40 years. This thing has still been been going on. One of the things we saw, we was closing out of chapter 2. Pastor Aaron drew our attention to these to this phrase, and it says, God saw them. God saw them. God had contemplated the covenant that he had with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. It said he he heard their cry. And he said he he knew. He knew. He knew their suffering. So when it said God saw them, it's, it's it's like God saying, I see you. I see you. I see right where you are. I feel you. I see you. And we close off chapter 2 with God knowing and seeing. and Then we enter into chapter 3 this morning. Some time has passed. And Moses, he's, he's out shepherding his father-in-law's flock. Moses has been living this, this life of a shepherd. That's what he did. And he's out shepherding his his father-in-law's flock, and then something strange happens. Exodus 3, 2, and 4. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. One thing I want us to notice here is is God didn't speak to Moses until after he noticed the bush and came to investigate. It wasn't like Moses was out there shepherding, and while he was shepherding, he heard this, this noise, this calling him. He's like, what it is? Oh, man, it's a, it's a burning bush. But instead, Moses notices the bush, and Moses goes to the bush, and he goes to investigate. And that's when God calls him, you see Sometimes the way that we we notice aspects of the call of God inside of our lives is that for some reason, certain things start to catch your attention more than it may do somebody else. For some reason, I'm drawn to it. For some reason, I can't just walk by and I want to get closer. I want to investigate. And as I go closer, I hear God calling me by name. Sometimes that's how it is. It's in the drawing closer. It's in the the thing that's standing out to me for some reason or another. It wasn't until Moses went closer that God called his name. So Moses continues to to investigate, and he goes closer. And as he's getting closer to God, God is like, yo, Chell, take off your shoes. This is holy grounds. This is a beautiful moment right here because right now, Moses is is, is meeting his God. And God says some really important things to him. In in, in 3 and 6, he says, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, before, before God tells him what the mission is, before God tells him why I, I, I called you, God tells him about himself. Let me tell you about who I am. Let me make myself known to you. And then when he tells him about himself, God doesn't just say, hey, I'm your God. But instead, he tells him about the narrative. There's a storyline here. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob. He tells him the narrative. This is important. You see, any movement of the people of God, has to flow out of a reality of who God is. I, I, we understand his heart. We understand what he cares for, what, 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 what excites him. We, it flows out of who God is and, and out of an understanding of his grand narrative. Every mission of the people of God has to flow and find itself couched inside the, the narrative of who God is. And he points out to him, first and foremost, I'm the God of your father. Now, this is significant because his father was a slave. This is significant. His father was a slave, a slave in Egypt. But but the narrative doesn't start there. That's why it's important. The narrative doesn't start in the oppression. The narrative doesn't start in the pain. That's not where the narrative starts at. So he continues to talk to him. Because he wants them to understand that, listen, I'm the God of your father, but not just your father. You see, sometimes we start our narrative in the oppression. We start our narrative in the pain. We start from right there, but God is talking to him. He said, hold on, this is connected to my narrative. There's a bigger thing. I'm the God of Abraham too. Uh, That's before the slavery. That's before the bondage. And he wanted to connect him to a narrative that was bigger than what he found himself at. This is important for us to catch here. Yeah. Yeah. Because we would rather build everything from the point of our existence. I wake up into this, and this is where I start my story Yet, But God is like, the story is bigger than that. Yeah. Let me connect you to my story. You find your story couched in mine's. You see, we, we need God to make himself known to us so that we understand the depth of the mission because if we don't understand the depth of the mission, how we will fight for things, how we will walk into things will be surface level and shallow because we don't understand the depths of the reality. Yeah. Yeah. So God connects them to the narrative. And then in verses 7 through 9, he continues to give context to the narrative. He tells them, "I've I've seen their pain. I've I've heard their cries. I know their suffering." And he says, "I I I, I've come to deliver you from bondage and oppression in Egypt. God is always delivering." us from, but it's always a to, I come to deliver you from bondage and oppression in Egypt to a land that, that, that he's already been using other people to prep for in advance, that he's already been storing up for in advance. You see, even when they didn't know if God was listening to them, even when they didn't know if God was hearing them, he was already preparing a place. Oh, they've been at this for years. They've been at this for a while, crying, not knowing what's going on. Why is God so silent? But God is preparing something. You see, sometimes we think God's silence is a sign that he's not even moving. But the thing is, God can move in silence. God can move when you have no idea how he's moving. And sometimes we're looking at that. I haven't heard you, Lord. You must not be hearing. You must not be moving. You must not be doing. But God doesn't have to notify you about what he's doing. He's, he's, he's working some things. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, so he gives Moses the narrative and the backdrop. And after he gives Moses the narrative and the backdrop, then he gives him the call. Exodus 3, 9 to 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's important as we read through the book of Exodus and and we read through moments like this where where there is this call that's going out to Moses and we are, are receiving this today that we know we're not reading this thing sort of separated from Moses. This call that goes to Moses is a call that goes to Israel. It's a call that goes to us, the church. And I want us to get this and I want us to understand and be able to process this. Like, what does this say right here? What does it say right now? What are the, the layovers? When we started out, we, we set up a thing that I want us to point to in Ephesians 3 and 10. Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. To the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is all talking about a spiritual reality, but spiritual realities have a physical embodiment. All right, just like God embodies himself physically, just like love has to be embodied. These spiritual realities have a spiritual and a physical embodiment. So you look at Pharaoh and what does Pharaoh represent to us? Rulers and authorities in high places influencing systems of idolatry and oppression. There's a spiritual thing that's happening with a physical embodiment to it. What does Egypt represent? That place of bondage. It's systemic oppression from a big level to a small level. And Moses is hearing this, and to Moses, Egypt seems like an overwhelming beast. What, what, what you just call me to do? Egypt? You know how many people they got, right? You know the army... Me? You see, automatically Moses' attention is drawn to how finite he actually really is. Because this situation is, is bigger than him. It, it, it's, it's beyond who he is. It automatically, he's drawn into this place of, of, of thinking about his own mortality, his own finite reality. And, and he turns around and he said, well, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that, that the Pharaoh, this, this great ruler, the one with, with the most authority in the land would even listen to me? Who am I? Who am I that I could lead your people out of the oppression of this great system of idolatry embodied in Egypt? Who am I? This is what Moses asked God. Who am I? God responds to him. When Moses says, who am I? Who am I that I can do this? God says this. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. I will be with you, and this shall be the sign of you. My presence with you is the sign for you, and everybody yells that I have sent you. This will be the sign, you see, the presence of God is the sign that you have been sent by God. A lot of times we want to go out and we want to do missions. We want to do things. I want to fight for this and I want to fight for that. And we could do it all without the presence of God. We're just happy that we're moving. But the presence of God is nowhere inside of the midst. But right here he says the sign is my presence. And I wish at this moment I could I could say that Moses is like, oh, that makes sense. But he's still, he's still, he's still wrestling with this, this, this thing of, who am I? Who am I? You want me to go to Pharaoh, and you want me to go to the to, to all the Israelites. I haven't seen the Israelites for a while. I've been gone, like 40 years. And you want me to come back all of a sudden like, yo, thus is the Lord? And he's, this, and he's wrestling with this, who am I? And he's wrestling with this, who am I? And how can I equip things? And what can I do? Finally, he asks, well, what if they ask me, what's your name? What did they ask me, what's your name? What do I say? He's still wrestling with who am I? He's still trying to make sense of everything. And when God responds, what God does, he, he flips Moses' question with who am I, and God decides to tell him that I am who. You see, when Moses says who am I, it's reflecting the finite nature of who he is, but then God says I am the who you should be considering here, and it reflects the infinite reality of who he is. Yeah. I am the who you should be thinking about here. I am who. I am who. That's what makes the difference inside of the story. Yeah. Me. Yeah. I know you're asking me, who are you, and you're trying to figure things out, but I am the who. God is the one that makes the difference in all of our missional exploits, all the things that we're doing. He is the one that makes the difference. Yeah. So He's like, let me tell you, I am the who. And we see Pharaoh and a system relying on the power of this age versus a God calling His people to rely on Him as their power. He chooses that I am the whole. You see, last week Pastor Aaron was preaching through through, Pastor two, through, through chapter two, and and. You see this moment where Moses is seeking to do the right thing. It's wrong for what's happening to the Israelites. And Moses wants to do the right thing. And in his want to do the right thing, he, he's, he, he doesn't know who the I am. is. so what he's doing is relying on the power of this age. He kills a man and it makes it hard for his own people to trust him. God is calling us to be able to rely on his power to do things, not my own strength, not keep talking about who am I. In Matthew 28, starting at verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's encouraging them on the same thing. And Jesus says to them, all authority, all power has been given to me, right? All power has been given to me. Then he says, and I am with you even to the end of this age. Meaning that I am with you past the point where all this other stuff ends. And this is the thing that he wanted to root in the hearts of his disciples. We're called to trust the the power and authority of our God and function in it. The problem is that we, we, we say we trust the power and authority of our God, but we function in the power and authority of this world. And God says, I am who I am. Basically saying, I am the God of the past, the present, and the future. There's this eternalness about me. I just exist. I am. I'm trying to get you to understand this. I am. I am. I am. I just am. I am that I am. And, And then he says, Now, not all translations will catch this. The NLT does, he says, let me tell you my name. He tells him his name is Yahweh. Now, this is a little bit different because his forefathers didn't know him by name. He just knew him by title, the the almighty God. but, but, But you know me as Yahweh. He's like, I know your name. I called you by name. I know your name. And now you know mine because he is a relational God. It's important that we have this relationship. And after he does this, he sends him away to go talk to the elders. But Moses is still tripping. He's still still tripping. He's still tripping. He says, I hear what you're saying, Lord. I don't think they're going to believe me. He still, he still is struggling hard. I don't think they're going to believe me. So when he tells God, listen, I don't think they're going to believe me. I don't think they're going to receive me. God just asks them a question. He says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? God, like Moses, like, well, I was I was shepherding the flock when all this happened. I got my staff. God, like throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake, and Moses jets. Moses, is like, yikes, and he jets. And God is like, no, 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 listen. Grab the snake by the tail, and he grabs the snake by the tail, just as God tells him to, and it turns back into a staff, and he's like, show them this. You see, it's important that we understand. The purpose of the signs. He's given Moses these signs, right? And 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 and, and, and this sign and all the other signs that he does are to show that God's presence is with them. That's the purpose of the sign. The purpose of the sign is to show that God is with him. But Moses is still feeling inadequate. Moses is feeling inadequate, and God is showing Moses that his presence is enough. My presence is enough. I don't need you to go get something else. I don't need you to be more this and more that. I've called you. I've sent you. I can use whatever you have what's in your hand. And he uses this simple shepherding tool to show off his presence. You see, the people of God have to remember our biggest asset is that God is with us. That's our biggest asset. We keep going to all these other things, but our biggest asset is that God is with us. In a world that would rather us focus on how inadequate we are than how adequate he is. I don't have enough. I don't have enough power. I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough time. Do you not know that that, that I'm an introvert? What are you missing it, God? They'll never receive me. But God is like, but I'm with you. What's in your hand? You see. God turns the staff into a snake. Yeah, Moses runs, right? But it's not that... You see, shepherds are familiar with snakes. They have to use their staff to, to make snakes run away, but, but his staff just turned into a snake. And if his staff turned into a snake, that means the snake was a, a pretty big snake. So he runs in fear when he runs in fear, freaked out about what just happened, and God tells him to do something really, really odd. Grab the snake by the tail. Now, any shepherd would know that that's not smart. You don't grab the snake by the tail because it'll curl around and bite you. But God tells him to grab the snake by the tail regardless of how dangerous it seems. And despite his fear and going against logical sense, Moses did what the Lord said. He grabbed the snake by the towel, and it turned back into a staff. There's a lot of symbolism here for Moses and for us. You see, during those times, the Egyptians spitting cobra was the snake that they used Um, as a symbol of authority, right, in ancient Egypt, if a pharaoh had to have that symbol to legitimize his rule. So it meant something, right? And many people believe that this is the very snake Moses' staff turned into. So the staff turns into this snake that represented the power and authority of Pharaoh in the culture of Egypt. And the fear that Moses had for Pharaoh in Egypt is captured in his fear for the snake that was represented in the staff. And God calls him to trust him and follow in the midst of fear and concern. Trust me. And God is calling us as believers to to trust and follow him, not giving in to the pressures of this culture and everything else that tells you to fear. What's the point? God is teaching us, along with Moses, to trust him in the face of fear, even if it doesn't make sense. Moses, trust me. God continued to show Moses two more signs that would bear witness to his presence being with them. He had the one sign to put your hand in your cloak, came back out, his hand is sick, put the hand back in, came back out, the hand is healed. Then he had the other one, like, if they don't take that, water the blood. And, And at that point, Moses started to believe, not. He still struggled, yep. just like many of us, even after God has shown a sign after sign after sign, and we still struggle to trust. Yep. And he starts talking to Lord. He said, but, he said, "But Lord, I don't even talk good, Lord. After all this, but Lord, I don't even talk good? That's, that's just not my gifting. He like, I I, I speak sort of slow, Lord. I got got a heavy tongue. And and then he says something that seems really sort of attitude to me. You can read the text, but he says, listen, I ain't never spoke good. And since me and you started talking, I still don't speak good. That's what it says. You see. Moses was believing the false narrative of of what culture said was strong, what culture said was powerful, what culture said was weak. He was defining his, his, his own inadequacies by the measuring stick of culture. Ah, and we wrestle with the same thing today, defining our own inadequacies by the measuring sticks of culture. A culture that's created a system that self-defines what's strong and marginalizes what it defines as weak. And then pushes it to the side because they're only viewed as sand in the gears of the machine. Because we don't fit into what culture defines as strong so we start to misplace value on what culture says but this morning I want to point to what God says yeah. oh god speaks back to him and then in Exodus 4 11 to 12 this is what God says then the lord said to him who made the mouth who makes him mute or deaf who or seeing or blind is it not I the lord now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And if you get what the Lord is saying, the Lord is like, like, like don't tell me about your mouth. Don't tell me about how your mouth doesn't do this and the, your mouth doesn't do that. Like, like you're informing me of something I don't know. Was I not the one that created you? I made your mouth. I know what's going on. I'm the one who intentionally created you like that. The same perfect hands that, that, that formed the mute or the same perfect hands that formed the deaf. The same perfect hands that formed the blind or the same perfect hand that formed the dude with 2020. Don't let culture define to you what's weak and what's strong. Hallelujah. You see, the Lord keeps putting our attention to him, but we keep turning our eyes back on ourselves. Ah, there it is. There it is. Over and over and over again. Moses is still struggling, he's still tripping. And he's like, I hear you, Lord, but. I think you should just send somebody else. All that is all good and stuff. But really, you should send somebody else, Lord, seriously. Surely you haven't thought everything through. Ah, and in the, the, the scriptures, the Lord is like, the Lord starts to get heated. Like, Lord, like, dude, seriously. Then the Lord, like, listen, listen, I'm gonna team you up with Aaron. He speaks good, okay? I'm going to team you up with Aaron. Now head back to Egypt. And the Lord says, he says something that's important. He says, when you get to Egypt, do everything that I showed you to do, all right? Do everything I showed you to do. Nothing's going to work, though. Nothing's going to work, all right? But do it all. But tell Pharaoh this. Tell Pharaoh this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. You see, the reason why God keeps talking to Moses about about the narrative, about the timeline It's because Israel's family tree, you see, God is constantly going back. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now he's like, listen, Israel's my son. That's that's my son right there. It's it's because Israel's family tree, it, it went back to Abraham, right? Now, Abraham's wife couldn't physically bear children. She was barren. And as a matter of fact, at this point, She was way past the natural age to even get pregnant. And God is giving this promise to them that you're going to have a kid. And then God himself personally and miraculously causes her to have her first and only child. And then she names that child Isaac. Now Isaac will later have a son called Jacob. Whom God will personally rename Israel, whose descendants became known as the children of Israel. So God is saying when you go and you talk to to, to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh that it's personal. This is family business here, it's personal. The reason, and the reason why he doesn't just say, son, but it said firstborn son because even there, God already knows I'm going to adopt more people into the family. Hallelujah. So he's just like, yo, tell him my firstborn son, That's my, let him go, or I'm going get, to get at your firstborn son. And God is going to adopt more children in, and that family will become known as the church. And as we get ready for communion, what I want to say is that. He is still taking it personal today. He's still saying, that's the fam there. He's still going to bat. He's still saying, that's the fam. Just as we, even today, we look at the Bible today for encouragement, So did the saints of old. So did saints in the Old Testament. Even saints in the Old Testament had scripture that they would look at, that would encourage them. Later on, there would be this this man by the name of David, right? Y'all know David. He wrote most of the Psalms. But what many of us don't know was David was reading these same passages that we was reading today. And he was finding encouragement out of it. As he was going into the things that God would, would, would have him to go through, and as he's going through some of the, the darkest times, he would read these same texts, and it would inspire him to, 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 to write what became known as the Psalms. And he would, he would write parts of the text down and stuff, and he would have the choir leaders sing the Word of God. Let's think about this, this scene... In chapter 4, when, when Moses decides to, to, to go and do the thing that God has told him um, to do. It's in 4 and 20. And it says, so Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Uh, David was reading Passages just like this, thinking about where the Lord was, was leading him and, and, and thinking about where his life was at. And he would turn around and he would write things like Psalms 23 when he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David is meditating on these type of thing that is going down. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's contemplating Moses' call to go to Egypt. And he says, thou art with me. And he's contemplating God's constant reminder to Moses that I will be with you. And he said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he's thinking about the same rod that God would use to testify of his presence, just to say, listen, I find comfort in the presence of the Lord. Let that give me peace. Hallelujah. This is where we find our comfort at today. This is where we find our comfort at this morning. and We learn about our our, our God, Jesus. Emmanuel, that's what they call him. God with us. As we prep for communion this morning, I think about how Moses had this staff as a reminder of his presence. And we come together every single Sunday and we break bread and and we eat of the, the body and we drink of the blood, reminding us of who is not just with us, but in us. He's not just present all around, he's literally living inside of us. Today, as we, we go to this table, two things I want to I wanna call. First and foremost, probably you're, you're inside here and you're realizing I've been living like an outsider to the family. And you're feeling God calling to be a part of the family. We would love to pray for you. Probably for the first time, things are making sense and you just want to be in the family. We just want to welcome you in. Well, probably you yeah, that guy, that girl. And no matter how many times God shows you the signs that he is with you, you keep missing it. And you keep looking at you. And God is calling you over and over and over again, look at me. I am the who that's important in this story. These are the things I'm going to ask you to contemplate and reflect on as we break bread together. Chapter 4 again closes out with Moses and Aaron talking to the elders of Israel, showing them the signs that God was with them, the elders receiving them and worshiping God this morning. I'm praying that we would do the same thing. See the signs that God is with us, that we will receive, and that we will worship God. The tables are open. Let's pray and worship together.